Here's the story of two dental hygienists from opposite sides of the world who became friends because they realized their professional lives were so in sync. One in Australia and one in America, both exuding the passion for high-level patient care, both pushing back on legacy dentistry. If you're ready to revolutionize the practice of dental hygiene through science and innovation, join us as we are disrupting dentistry. Welcome listeners to the Disrupting Dentistry podcast. We are so excited to be doing this for you and I'm not going to lie a little bit for us too. My name is Melissa Obratka and I am here with the world famous Tabitha Akrape. Tabitha, let's talk about why we're here and what we're doing. Um, I'm so excited to actually be doing this together. This has been something that we've been working on for a little while behind the scenes and we're really excited to share our passion in dentistry and learn together. This is really about a journey of learning together so that we can learn more and share what we've learned and our passion for dentistry with our listeners. Start with telling people who you are and where you're from, for those who don't know. My name is Melissa Obradka. I'm a dental hygienist from the United States. I live with my family in New Jersey and I have been practicing dental hygiene for, oh my gosh, so long. Uh, It's been 21 years. I am also a clinical adjunct professor where I graduated from Imperimus, New Jersey, and I absolutely love, 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 love being able to inspire and educate the next generation. Um, I am a self-proclaimed dental nerd. I love to learn about my profession. I love to enhance the treatment that I provide for my patients, and um, I have just always loved being in the dental fields. I, I... was an awful student all through high school and when I got into dental hygiene school I actually loved learning and fell in love with everything dentistry so it just was like you know where you know you're in the right place and you're doing what you're you were meant to do I just kind of knew that because I, I I was one of those nerds that actually liked going to class and loved the challenge of it and you know people felt like they would describe hygiene school like ripping a band-aid off of an open wound and I was like really that wasn't the experience I had I loved it (laughs) but um you know it's I I think that's part of just who I am I love the challenge of things I like to keep on learning more because I get stagnant really easily and Lord knows that our profession if if you don't push yourself you can get really stagnant really fast doing the same thing over and over and over again but I right from the beginning looked at it as an opportunity to um you know, really individualize the care for the patient who was sitting in front of me um, and really, you know, getting that, building that relationship. I love it when patients are nervous. Like, I love those challenges clinically because I love to be able to make that change for them and help them get comfortable and not feel like, you know, this is the world's worst thing over childbirth to have to do because I know many of us have heard that before. <laughs> just like, in the beginning, I was like, really? I, I just don't understand that. But now, I, you know, just the evolution of your yourself, too, through the years. Like, you evolve as a clinician and the things, you know, and, and your roles in your life. As your life changes personally, I feel like you evolve as a clinician, too. Like, I'm, I'm a much different dental hygienist after having children than I was before. And, you know, all these things, like... It's just all part of the journey. And and Tabitha and I are really, yeah, we're doing this and we're putting this out in the world, but we are kind of being selfish because we just want to learn more. <laughs> so we figured why not share along the way, right? 
Yeah. Um, I didn't talk anything about implant dentistry or all that other stuff that I do, right? Try mint tab. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, I'm from Australia for the listeners out there, as you can probably tell from my accent, which is a little bit grating for some people, the Australian accent, Love but you have to bear with me. Um, I'm I honestly, well, I have my Siri set to Australian voice. <laughs> I didn't know you could do that. <laughs> well, <laughs> I graduated from Newcastle University with a Bachelor of Oral Health and I work in general practice. I now work in specialist periodontal practice as well. And I also work as a clinical educator for EMS and I do lots of teaching as does Melissa on implant dentistry and preventative dentistry. And something that we really feel passionate about is sharing that passion for preventative dentistry. And I think the same as Melissa, my life as a hygienist has really changed. I'd like to apologize to all the patients that I saw as a baby hygienist. (laughs) That that was not great care. And um, I think that my knowledge, my skills have improved. And I think when I first graduated, I didn't realize what I didn't know. And now I'm very aware of what I don't know. And that's kind of exciting because there's so much more to keep learning, especially with implant dentistry, which is an area that Melissa and I are both really interested in. I really got into that because I was scared and I was upset that I was cheating my patients with fear and neglect. Really, that's Mm. how I... I didn't know what to do with implants because I wasn't being given the knowledge. And it really started me on a journey to better myself. And now I really don't want other hygienists to feel that fear that I felt. And I don't want patients to get suboptimal care either. I want them to get the best care that they can get. So I feel quite passionate about sharing that. And I think that's why Melissa and I really clicked when we met because we've got such an aligned passion with wanting to learn as much as we can we're both exactly the same where we get bored really easy. So we've got to keep moving and keep changing things up and we want to share it with people. We don't want to hold it all in. We're really happy to share that information and maybe we can help, you know, a couple of hygienists not feel as scared as we did when we first right. came across some of that dentistry. And it's funny that you say that too, because it's like we, even that, like our, our journey into implant dentistry and how we felt you know, that's the funny part about this. Like Tabitha was going through these struggles on the other side of the continent, the world. And um, I see, I'm geographically challenged. I'm just going to tell you all that. Right? <laughs> I will say things that like don't make sense. And I'm sorry. My kids just have uh, so much fun making fun of me. Um, but yeah, you were experiencing that in Australia. I'm experiencing that struggle in America. And we had no idea that each other even existed. And then I just think it's amazing how like the universe brought us together and, um, you know, we just, we, we realized that we we're doing the same thing and having the same struggle. And, you know, it, when we met, it was like that me too moment. You're like, oh my gosh, you use airflow me too. You do this, me too. Like, you know, like. I think uh, that was one of the things that I found really interesting. The first time I met Melissa, she was actually presenting at a conference and I'd come along to attend. And when you were telling your story at the beginning about how you got into implant dentistry, I was laughing at the back because it was exactly the same as my presentation (laughs) with I used to be scared and then this happened and then I did this and I was like, this is actually exactly how I start my presentation. But it was funny with all the people that present in this group of us that do a lot of implant education together, we all had that similar journey of, uh, oh, no, what are we going to do? And I think that that's what I really enjoy teaching with us all together is that We never want anyone to feel shame about not knowing what to do in that situation. And I actually think that when you can say, I don't know what to do, 
I'm not sure what to do. That's actually the sign of a better clinician. Mm -hmm. And that's the sign of a clinician that's going to grow and is going to give that excellent care. Because when you can recognise what you can't do and what you need to do better, then you know that you either need to refer that patient or you need to get the skills to treat that patient. And then that really is the essence of patient-centred care. Because if we think we can do everything, that's not possible. Or, you know, we can't do it all. And there's no shame in saying that. You know, I don't like doing certain things in dental hygiene. And now that I work in specialist practice, like the other day I said to my boss, I never have to take an impression again. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I was banned from taking them because it was so bad. <laughs> I was like, I'm not very good at it. I don't really like them. I hate actually getting them even on myself. And I recognize that that's not an area I really like. I'm not really, mm -hmm. same as like fissure seals and stuff like that. I don't really like doing that. I'm very perio focused. And so there's nothing wrong with saying, I don't have a passion in that area or I don't actually think I'm that skilled in that area. And this is what I'm going to really concentrate on. You know, maybe for you, it's your passion is kids. You're really good at seeing kids and dealing with adults. You're not as great with, you're not as great with the perio. So you want to be more with the children. There's nothing wrong with saying that. Or maybe your passion's ortho. We really can diversify our careers. We don't have to be pegged into general practice seeing everyone. You can go out and work with different types of specialists. Or maybe general practice is your thing. But it's about finding what gives you that, yes, I love yeah. this. And, you know, and being able to just get rid of the bits that you don't really love. And, you know, I literally danced up the hallway when I realised I never have to use alginate again. <laughs> get out of my life <laughs> yeah I'm definitely not a fan either <laughs> and, and then there's those moments you know like that that like what you said about not knowing that vulnerability I feel like we we as, as human race look at that as a negative thing but there's it's actually so powerful because like you said that moment that you recognize it now you can start moving forward and, and making a plan as to how you change it you know and and it's just I think that centers down to who more so than like what kind of hygienist you're taught to be like, yes, in, in our education process, uh, there's a lot of pearls of wisdom that are like driven depending on your professors and, and the program you're in. And, and we all get like something different, which is amazing. But I feel like you as a person, it's, you have to be able to accept that ability to be vulnerable and, when you learn something new, I think that we as a human race put these like really stupid expectations on ourselves to be good at something new. And I mean, I felt that way when I started in Perio Pross. Like, here's these patients that I've always loved Perio. Like, I've always loved making unhealthy people healthier. That's just always been like a driving force for me. But then, and, and I was bored. I was getting really bored in GP. So then when I had the ability to go to Perio Pross, I was like, oh, yes, this is going to be great. Well, the greatness for 12 months was like intimidating, yeah. you know, and I had a lot of work to do there. I had a lot of learning I had to do. I had a lot of work I had to do with patient care, getting them in, in a healthier position. And, um, you know, it was tough. It, it was really hard. I was like mentally and physically exhausted almost every single day. <laughs> but I, I think that you may have brought up a really good point though, with when you were saying that you were a bit bored and unhappy in general, I actually had been there as well. So I was feeling really burnt out in my career actually quite early. Mm -hmm. I had dental nursed and been a practice manager and all of those things before going to hygiene. So I'd been in um, dental for a while. 
But I think I was just, I wasn't in a practice where I felt like I was growing much. Um, I felt like it was just monotonous and going on every day. And I was feeling a bit burnt out. And just, I was actually thinking about leaving dentistry. And I was studying postgraduate law at night and working through the day. And I had a toddler and I was exhausted. And because I was trying to get this plan B, I've got to get this plan B and get out of dentistry. And it, it probably shocks people because I'm so like full on with dentistry now, but I was ready to, to jump ship. And then I went to this amazing CE course in America and the hygienist there was just so in love with dentistry. And what she made me realise was is that my job wasn't to clean teeth. My job was to look at the health of the patient and I really should be talking to my patients about HPV risks and their oral cancer risk. And I should be really getting um, more excited about perio. And I learned about implant maintenance and not feeling overwhelmed. And when I came back, I felt like a different person and I really got my mojo back for dentistry because I had, I had been passionate, but I was just getting burnt out and just the monotonous of it and being in the wrong office. And I quit my job. I went and worked for a specialist like you did, went and worked in an implant practice where I was overwhelmed. It was full on. I was exhausted. I really was out of my depth <laughs> and I had to learn a lot. But that pushing me really changed my passion for dentistry and, it, and I got it back. So if you are listening and you're thinking, I'm feeling a bit burnt out, doesn't mean it can't come back. Doesn't mean you can't find that. And I think that's what I love about implant and perio is, is that I know that I still have so much to learn and I like that, that I can go, well, there's a million CEs I can still do and the knowledge is still there. You know, I want to learn more about grafting. I want to learn more about um, the actual surgery side so I can talk to my patients about and understand each step of the process so I understand it all from a bigger picture now, I'm obviously never going to understand it on the level of the surgeon because I'm just never going to have be able to go to the uni and do that course unless I wanted to go back and do dentistry. But I love being a hygienist, so I want to understand as much as I can to look at it from my level and what I'm going to do. And I think that's what is keeping me passionate at the moment because when they come in, I can... I still feel mentored by my boss and I can ask questions and I'm learning things every day at work. And I really like that. And I think if you are feeling stagnant in your career or stagnant in your office, make a change. Mm -hmm. really yeah, I think I love that point because I think that <clears throat> a lot of times we just accept the culture of dentistry in that particular practice or, I mean, right now the culture of dentistry is in the midst of a big change because yeah. we're dealing with this global pandemic. And I think that coronavirus has just shined a light on so many things in dentistry in general that we should have been doing better anyway. Um, so I think that we're, we're on the cusp of some really good changes, but the culture a lot of times, and, and I think that this does start in hygiene school that like you're just expected to know this. And if you don't know it, you know, it's almost like, well, you should know this. So how do you not know this? And it, it can be a little bit abrasive and it's, it's very intimidating and it feels a bit scary. And then you just have that, like that, like your gut drop feeling when you're like, Oh, 
I, I didn't know this. Or, you know, when your professor's like, I still feel calculus here, you know, and, and you're like, oh, you know, we've all stood there and like, you know, your face just drops, like everything just drops because you just feel like crap about yourself. You're like, oh my gosh. And in that one moment, you're like, I should just not do this anymore. I'm not good at this. This isn't for me. Oh my gosh. And like all these things are going into your brain, but you know, like, you're still, you're still so new. And I think that students are just, there's so much to learn in such a short period of time that they're, you know, you're being hammered and hammered and hammered with information. And so much of it is so important. Like there's really not any of it that isn't critical because we have yes. to take care of these people and we have, we're, we're in charge of their health and their wellness. And there's a lot of things that we could do to a patient that can actually put them in harm's way. So, you know, if we're not really looking at the bigger picture and taking that all into consideration, it could, it could be tough. So I think that that's where that culture kind of comes from because it is so important. But I think that dentistry needs to find some new ways of doing things. And I think <laughs> and that's part of this yeah, podcast too. That's a really good point you made too, though. I think um, for people out there feeling a bit lost too, when you're going to interviews and you're changing jobs, you're not just being interviewed yourself. You should be interviewing that practice because 100%. the culture of that practice, like you're talking about and being the right fit for you can really change how you work. Now where I was feeling burnt out, we had been purchased by a corporate. It was production, 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 production. And I wasn't feeling like a healthcare provider. I was feeling like a money-making machine and this is what everything was about now I totally understand that we're businesses at the end of the day and if we don't make production if we don't make money then I don't get paid and we don't run a business so we have to find that line between keeping the business going and being healthcare providers and at that particular practice for me it it wasn't the fit for me now mm -hmm. that doesn't mean they're a bad practice or they're bad dentists or anything like that but we didn't mesh we weren't the right fit and it's okay to say we don't fit but, and I think it took me a long time, even myself at that practice, I stayed longer than I should have because I found it really difficult to just be like, it's just not working out, like, because we're just not gelling. Like. And then I realised, well, actually, I need to interview practices. I need to make sure that what I want to give and be this healthcare professional, I can get that at this practice and that patient care is going to be really high and I need that. And you need to look at what do you need, what do you want? And I know the job market is difficult. Um, I'm not sure what it's like in America, but in Australia, you know, it's tough. We've got a lot of hygienists and OHTs and the job market can be quite difficult, especially when you're first graduating and there's that pressure, just get a job, just get a job, just get a job. But if you don't go somewhere where you're going to be mentored or you're going to fit, you won't have a long career or you'll have a really unhappy one. Absolutely. And I find very often in the u.s at least in this section of the world where i'm where i am um our country see there i go with my geography again yeah. um <laughs> i find that they're being taught standard of care and then they go out into private practice and they're like well we don't do blood pressure we don't do all cancer screenings we don't do this we don't do that and they're kind of like left to there there's very minimal mentorship yeah. Especially if you're the only hygienist in the practice, the doctor doesn't want to really spend their time mentoring you. They want you to see the patients. And there's like this, there's no communication really as to what you want, what they want out of their hygienist, but they just, here's your schedule, go do it. And, you know, I feel bad for them because they, they it's stressful. You know, they're so new and, and then they're so afraid 
to admit what they don't know because they don't want them to feel, they don't want their doctors to feel or their dentists to feel like they um, maybe hired the wrong person or they don't have enough experience. So there's that fear factor of, of being vulnerable. You don't, you don't want to let them know that you're feeling so vulnerable. And, um, and then that, that then can lead to other issues where you end up doing things that isn't the standard you've been taught or you feel almost shamed into doing it a certain way. And there's just so much pressure on these poor new clinicians that it just, it breaks my heart. And I'll talk to my former students all the time and, and, you know, they're sharing some of the things with me that they're experiencing. And I'm just like, I I just feel like, like their mama, like I want to go yell at the dentist and be like, why are you doing this to them? That's not right. But like, I think that one of the the key elements that's missing in hygiene education, and it's again, I'm not knocking academia. There's too much that they have to teach in a two-year program. Like, I don't know what it's like for you guys, but most of our programs here in the U.S. are associate's degree. So they have two years to get them prepared to take their boards and get out into the world and be treating patients. And, you know, we've been talking in the U.S. for a really long time about changing that, you know, to a minimum of a bachelor's degree. And if we want independent practices to become more of the norm here, I think we need to look at that as like a master's degree level. So, you know, I I do think that the education is going to have to increase with it too. And um, I I feel like there's ways that that could be done without really destroying the current system that we have with two-year programs. I think there's ways that we could work with other universities to, you do two years here and then you move on to, you know, the next level. But um, I, I often digress too. So, we're, so in Australia, we know that <laughs> in Australia <laughs> we have one school that does two years, and then the rest of them are all bachelor minimum, and it's three years. But most of the schools in Australia now do a combined oral therapy and hygiene course. So it's a lot of information in three years, and yeah. really, it could be a longer course as well. It's a lot to take in. It's a lot to learn, and I think. Um, while they come out with a lot of science information, we're missing a lot of how does private practice work? How's it going to work when we go into this? Because it is so different to unlimited amount of time, never having to talk about money. I found that really intimidating when I graduated for the first time. I I don't even like talking money ever. And then now people are asking me how much things cost. And I'm like, Oh, oh." (laughs) I I don't like it. I still don't like, I always just say, ask the receptionist. I know. And that's my thing. But all of a sudden, you know, you've got this, it's not just about, well, this is the healthcare I should think you should have. And then they all just say, yes, now you've got to present treatment plans and costings and all of these things. And I feel that that's a big area that's missed when we're training because it's really difficult to do that with no training and and to still keep it health focused, but you have to talk about money. It's it's inevitable if you go to private practice. Right, right. We don't get a lot. I felt that I don't know if maybe some of the newer schools are trying to introduce that, but definitely when I went through, there was no preparation for private practice. No, it's 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 hard. I mean, you definitely. I feel like it's it's so essential for you to be have the history, like you had mentioned, being a dental nurse. I was a dental assistant. You know, working the the admin side of the office too. You learn a lot. You understand. Yeah you know, how all those operations work and, and 
working with um, insurance companies and and that that could be a whole nother episode that's a broken system too <laughs> I don't know how I, I our medicine in the US is, is crazy um, but we could definitely talk about that in the future like just what that looks like between the United States and Australia but um, there's so much that's that's just that that gap in between you know being in, yeah. in academia and then going into private practice and one of the things that I would pick up along the way, and this definitely didn't happen as a baby hygienist, but um, I learned to say to patients that here's here's what I see, here's the problem. If we do nothing, here's the consequence. But yeah. here's here's the solutions. And um, let me give you more than one solution because you got to pick one that's going to fit in your life. I can give you the optimal solution, and you know obviously that might not financially work for you. Or, you know, there might be a time restraint. There could be multiple reasons why you don't want to go that route. So I feel like, you know, there's, and that just comes from learning and being chairside and talking to patients and saying, hey, Mr. Jones, we had discussed doing this last time. And, you know, that was six months ago. And I see that you haven't come back and have that done. May I ask why? You know, question asking is so essential, I feel. Because then all of a sudden, like, I had a patient that needed, um, like, a three or four unit bridge. And the doctor had suggested crown lengthening before doing the bridge. And he didn't want to do, so he didn't do, he didn't commit to any treatment. And when I asked him more the next time, he goes, well, I don't really want to do that, that gum surgery. I really have no desire to have that done. I understand why I need the bridge done, but I really don't want to do that. So then I said, all right, well, why don't we talk to the doctor and see if he feels that he can still give you a good result without that step or what the limitations may be without that step, just so, so you make an educated decision. Yeah. Like, you know, those are things that I feel come with time, but like you said, there's not training for that. Mm -hmm. And what really stinks is that by the time you get there, or some of us don't even make it there, because like you said, you get to that point where you hit the wall and you're burnt out. As you were talking about how you felt, I'm like, oh my gosh, I hit that too. And when I went back to school to get my bachelor's degree, I, it was more so like I was ready to just hightail it out of dentistry too. I was like, I'm, I'm good. I'm all set. I have hernia discs in my neck now from doing this. I couldn't feel my hand for three months out of my life. I'm good. Peace out, <laughs> you know? And it's crazy because we, we have so much missed opportunity for, for like just being great at this job and be, it's not, you know, being great at this profession and feeling so good about, what you're able to provide for patients and helping them be a part of that journey where they can get there. But a lot of us, you know, all these barriers are thrown in the way before we even can ascend to that level. So that's, that's what really stinks about the culture of dentistry. And I hope that, you know, we could do our small part in just having this podcast to help people change that. I definitely think uh, the same as you being a dental assistant really helped me in my journey because I wasn't as nervous. I had seen how private practice worked. And so I understood what the expectations were when I was going to get there. But if you'd come straight from school or maybe a different career, it would have been a steep learning curve when you're, sure. when you're trying to leave. Like, it would have been really, really hard. But going back to school, what made you actually become a dental hygienist? It's funny you say that. I grew up in a very dental family. My mother was a dental assistant and then became an office manager. And um, so then that meant that like, as I was a teenager, I babysat for the dentist that she worked with. I babysat for the hygienist that she worked with. And then, um, so it was always kind of like in the back of my mind. And um, 
when I was like seven, 16 or 17, I went into the office for the first time and just kind of helped out. Like my mom was like, Hey, why don't you just check it out and see if you like it? And, and when I took the, in high school, we would take these like career aptitude tests to see what your personality would fit in. And like I said, I was an awful student. I was there for the socializing. I wasn't there for the learning. I basically like showed up to hang out with my friends and play softball and that was it. So, um, (laughs) so I, um, you know, when, when it came time to like decide what I was going to do, I remember taking one of these tests and it said dental hygienist, like that I would, was a good match for that. And, um, it, it, so it always just kind of like was in the back of my mind. And, and I do like, I, I love helping people. I love helping people see that they can achieve something that they don't feel is possible. And um, like I said earlier, like I knew I was supposed to be here because it all just like lit me on fire. And even like biochemistry and microbiology, like I, it was painful being in those classes in the beginning, but like now I wish I could take microbiology again. I'm like, why didn't I pay better attention in microbiology? Like, why did I think, oh, this is stupid. When am I ever going to use this in my career? Uh, hello, pump the brakes <laughs> 20 years later. It's all about the microbiome. <laughs> Who would have known, you know? So when my kids say that, like, I'm never going to use this. I'm like, hold that thought. Don't say never. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's how that kind of started. So I went, I remember the first time I went into the office, this is, really dating myself we had composite in a box and there was this little gun and you put these tiny little cartridges inside the gun and they were color-coded and that's how you knew what shade the composite was and I still let that in Australia oh no is it (laughs) (laughs) but I dropped the box on the floor and it all went and I nearly just died right there on the floor like my I was sweating I was like oh my gosh the doctor's gonna kill me and you know, so I, then I kind of, I, I took a step back for a minute. And I was like, wow, that was so stressful and this and that and the other thing. Um, but then uh, I went to school to play softball and really realized that, you know, I, I wasn't happy doing that anymore. I was kind of burnt out because I played my whole life competitively. And it like, you know, I made a lot of sacrifices to do that. And I got to college and I was like, I, yeah, I'm good. I'm all set. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm ready to start doing like, figure out who else I am besides that. So um, dentistry was always like sitting in the back of my mind. I even remember being in class and my friends were like, oh, did you register for classes? I was like, no. And they're like, why? Oh my gosh, why are you not registering for next year? I was like, because I'm not coming back. I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm going to dental hygiene school. And they were like, what? <laughs> and it was funny because like I just made that decision. And then um, so I, I came back home and applied to the dental hygiene program, which in New Jersey, where I live, there's really just like one school in that area. In our community college, if it's not in your, the county that you live in, you really don't have first ability to get in. So it took me two tries to get in and um, I got in and it was, I worked as a dental assistant the whole time, which was amazing because like you said, I got to, I got to learn in school and then go to the office and actually see it being applied. So that was like the light bulb just kept going on for me. Or I remember sitting in class and, and my professor would be talking about a certain topic. And then I was like, wait a second. So that 
oh, that's why he does that when he's working in the office. <laughs> so it was like I was making all these connections. And it was, it, I, I would definitely encourage anybody who is, you know, going into dental hygiene to do some time as a dental assistant while you're in school or, you know, I know a lot of assistants will, you know, want to go into hygiene. So, and I think that that's great because it's, it's the next step. Yeah. It's the next step. And, and it's, you definitely have, like, I, I remember wanting so much that autonomy. Like I didn't want to have to do everything that the, the dentist wanted and how he wanted it. And, you know, if he ran behind, I, I could do nothing about it where I, you know, I went, well, when I have my own schedule, I'm not going to lie. It's all I do. Stupid clock. And, and I have to give props to Siobhan Healy because she always says, we don't run behind. We're never given enough time. <laughs> and she's right. She's right. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's my journey into dentistry. That's how I got here. How about you, Tab? Um, well, I was really into dentistry as a small child. My grandfather actually was a dental technician and owned a dental lab. And so as a four and five-year-old, I um, was with my grandparents a lot. They took care of me a lot. And so I would be hanging out at the dental lab. So I had play dentures. I had a tooth on a necklace. I was a really <laughs> weird kid. Probably didn't have any friends. I don't know. But like, I would say to people, I, I, I was a weird kid. I'll put that out there. I carried a handbag everywhere when I was five. It was a clutch. I also wore a bow tie on a necklace. So you can, Little Miss Sunshine, if you've seen that movie, I was that child. And, um, I would say to people that I met, would you like to see my teeth? And when they thought I was going to smile, I would pull out my dentures out of my clutch. Oh, my gosh. It's so funny. And so I was obsessed. And I was obsessed with my grandfather as a kid as well. So we were very close and, you know, he liked teeth, so I loved teeth. And he always thought, I only found this out recently, my grandmother said he was quite older, um, that when he was retiring, and I was only seven, but quite little, that he had said to her, I don't think I should retire, I should wait for Tabitha. And my grandmother's like, she's seven. (laughs) It's going to take too long. And he goes, but she just told me this recently because he had said, no, I just know she's going to be in teeth and maybe she'll take the business and, and, you know, she'll be the person that I can pass this on to. But I then kind of forgot about dentistry. And when I went to school, I wanted to be a lawyer because I watched a lot of law and order. And uh, I didn't take any science subjects in year 11 and 12 because I decided I hated it and I didn't want to do it. That was a big regret later in life, like you said. (laughs) And I really focused on English and legal studies and history and other subjects like that that would get me into law at university. And then I found myself studying law at university and I remember thinking, this is nothing like law and order. (laughs) It's really embarrassing to have to admit that. But I was just like, oh, I really don't like this. And um, one of my mum's friends had got me a job as a dental assistant working a night and a a weekend to help pay for university. And I decided I really liked doing that more than uni. So I dropped out of uni and I was dental assisting full time and I was plodding along and I just didn't know what I wanted to do. I was thinking I put an application in for uni and this is how much I didn't know what I wanted to do. I put an application in for psychology, graphic design, 
physiotherapy. Like I was just putting in anything like random. And then I was like, maybe I'll just study law and hate it. Like maybe that would just be like, I'll just study law and I'll hate it. I just knew that I really liked dentistry, but it one wasn't giving me enough uh, you know, autonomy, like you were saying, and I wasn't feeling like I was getting pushed enough and I wanted more. I wanted more responsibility. I wanted, I wanted more. I really enjoyed what I was doing. It just wasn't enough. And then I was also had found myself in this time as a single mum, and I was thinking, how am I going to pay for everything? I'm not getting paid enough either. This is terrible. And I was having lunch with the dentist one day and I said to him, you know, I'm applying for uni and just letting him know. And I told him about my weird applications of like applying for anything and everything because I didn't know what I was going to do. And he was kind of just sitting and listening. And I said to him, you know, I'm really going to miss dentistry. I, I really enjoy it. I, I like the healthcare side of it. I like what you're doing. It's really interesting. Um, but I need more. And he turned and said to me, why don't you become a dental hygienist? And I said to him, oh, because I'm not smart enough because I hadn't taken that science at school and the idea of doing that was really overwhelming. And he turned and said to me, very monotone, well, that's the dumbest thing you've ever said. I love it. And I went, oh, oh. And he goes, don't speak so stupidly, go apply. So I went and put an application. I changed my application. I went home that night and I changed my application and I was like, oh. And I got in and then I went to hygiene school and I remember the first week we're in a biology class and they were talking about atoms. And I put my hand up and said, what's an atom? <laughs> and I realized I was in deep. I went yeah. back out to my car and I cried because I thought I've quit my full-time job. I've moved to another state. I've tagged along my toddler. <laughs> I'm here by myself and I don't even know what an atom is. Like this is a disaster. So I got a tutor and I learned um, the last two years of high school science for chemistry and biology in two weeks. Wow. <laughs> I studied every night. I didn't go to class for two weeks. I just studied the science. I just was like, I need to get my level up here and, and get myself on a, a higher level of it. And then I came back and I remember I just said to a friend that I'd made that failure is not an option. I've sunk all my money into this. I've sunk, I put every egg in the basket failure is not an option and I just, I just give you the that attitude I have to pass because I have to give this life to my child I have to be able to pay my bills I have to do this and if I fail something I can't afford the setback or what that's going to do and so uh, I passed obviously everyone I have passed <laughs> and now I really don't know how I got so lost on the way because <laughs> I just think Oh, what what else would I do? Like, how you know what's so funny? Something else. Like. Yeah, it's so funny because like it's so obvious, right? For somebody else looking in, like your doctor who was like applied to hygiene school, you'll be, yeah. you know, he he obviously had faith. He he knew that that was a good fit for you, and it's just always so obvious for everybody else, but for us, and, and we we need to start being like thinking having that mindset to just be more gracious with ourselves and and understand you know things are scary and nobody knows nobody knows but you know like you said failure is not an option I'm gonna push it's gonna be hard but I'm gonna get to the other side of it and you know I feel like we we give up on ourselves or, or we count ourselves out too much and 
you know, I would never say that to like, you know, my kids, I'd be like, oh yeah, you could do it. You could do it. The students, when they're breaking down and crying, I'm like, okay, you had a, it wasn't the greatest day. It wasn't the outcome you set out to have today, but did you learn? You know, as long as there's learning, there's growth and, yeah. and it's the openness to learning, I think. And look what you did, you know, like you're like, I, I don't know this. You could have just walked away, but you didn't. You're like, I need to, I need to get myself up and you took steps and you did it and you were successful. And I mean, look at you, you're a freaking dental hygiene rock star. I think we talked about this um, in one of the Implants Uncovered groups, actually, about failure. And I think that's a really good point. If you learn something from it, if you grow from it, or if you learn just don't do that again, then it's not a failure. It's just a learning step. And as someone I know always says this, as long as you're failing forward, it's fine. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's true, though. I mean, that's, I got from, I wouldn't be using airflow if I didn't not do implant maintenance right. Yeah. Right. And, and it, again, it comes from a lack of knowledge. I didn't know better. So how could I do better if I didn't know better? I did the best I could with what I had at the time, but it, I didn't like that feeling of not knowing enough. And I didn't like feeling that this patient went the distance and invested a lot of time and finances to restore their dental health. I need to go the distance be able to support that yeah and that's you know that that was the inspiring thing for me and I and you know I I hope that others don't feel that shame of not knowing it's it's a lot and it didn't happen for me overnight and I feel like too like when you see a presenter standing in front of the room or you hear a hygienist um, you know on a Facebook group talking about um, when you, you see a hygienist posting something on a Facebook group and then people are like, you know, very almost accusatory or attacking about it instead of like being supportive and saying, Hey, you know what? I struggled too. And I figured this out from my struggle. Yeah. You know, I, I just wish that we would have a little bit more grace with each other and, and, and kindness with each other because we're all in it together. Like you're doing the same thing I'm doing and it shouldn't be, you know, we look at it as, as like a competition, like who's doing it better or who's, you know, I don't do it that way. So you instantly feel badly about yourself or maybe, you know, not taking blood pressure or, or letting all of the, the things in the office stop you from doing what you know in your heart is the treatment you should be doing. It's okay to, to just draw the line in the sand and be like, enough, I'm not doing this anymore. I, I'm going to do it this way because this is what I want to do. It's, and I, I feel like, in the U.S., we often forget that even though we're supervised by dentistry, we have our own license. And, and we don't, like you said earlier about interviewing the doctor or the, the practice, you know, it's not, just, it's not just interviewing the dentist and being calibrated with their outlook on dentistry. It's also, you know, the business team and the support staff, the assisting staff, and, and all of the components of the office, you know, it's, it's, we all have to work together to make it work and at the end of the day it's the outcomes for the patient that is the product that we're trying to put out so there's there's so many factors involved in so many things so i really hope that people who tune into us more than than one um (laughs) one person listening um you know just they they i i hope our listeners feel inspired like i don't ever want anyone to feel like oh these two chicks know more about this than i do like us to want to share what we know. We want to keep growing 
our knowledge base and we want to share it and we want other people to feel the same and one step at a time like you know you can't build Rome in a day and we see like what I was trying to say before is we see this presenter or this person in, in Facebook maybe like posting something that seems like they really know what they're talking about and then we only see that little bit it's like the iceberg you see the tip that's coming out of the water but you don't see the years of experience or what that person did to get to that knowledge base we just see that little snippet of time of what they're saying and it could be intimidating and I mean I've been intimidated a bajillion times especially standing up in front of the room talking about implant dentistry and having doctors who have been published and editors of magazines in the audience and you know, and then having those tough conversations at the break and then feeling like completely deflated, but having to go back up there and keep talking, it's tough. But, you know, it's what I have learned in this experience and time is that a dental hygienist is the specialist in dental hygiene. And that's that. Yeah. There is not a dentist who is more qualified to do dental hygiene. And I'm sorry if that may be unpopular to hear. I do feel that there are many periodontists who may have the clinical skills that could be above a specific clinician, um, but there is no one more qualified to do dental hygiene than a dental hygienist. No, I 100% agree. This is our area when we're doing it, and this is what we specialize in it's what we spent all our time learning about and we really have some great skills and knowledge to offer our patients and I saw a really great post going back to that baby hygienist again on Facebook yesterday and it wasn't about hygiene it was just a post in general and someone had written be the person that the younger you needed and I really think we can apply that to dental hygiene so think about if you're an older clinician or even a clinician that's been out a year or two what what was scary when you were a new grad and share that knowledge and you know someone said you know grads have a lot to share with us as well yeah because they're updating their knowledge and they've studied recently so they have new knowledge and new things to share so it can be bi-directional how we share this knowledge we can learn off mm -hmm. each other but you know you know it's hard for new grads so take one under your wing help them out give them advice on facebook offer them tips you know there's lots of things that we can do and just because maybe you're not a speaker or you're not working in education doesn't actually mean you don't have a lot to give. And I think that's what something with the Implants Uncovered group and, and how we're all working, we are actually practicing dental hygienists. We work in the clinic day in, day out. We see the patients. We know how hard it is in practices. And so we're not really any better than the person that is standing next to us. We're just willing to share that information and we really just give practical information in that group. And that's what I really like about it because we really just do understand this is just the everyday and we're just going to give you tips and we just want to share with what helped us, what didn't help us. You know, um, we often, all of us share, this went wrong. And I think that's one of my favourite things when I go to a conference. I went to Europerio in 218 in Amsterdam. One of my favourite sessions were failures. And it's just these five periodontists that just got up and talked about their nightmare cases and what went wrong and why it went wrong. And a lot of it was they said, it was my fault because I skipped a step or I didn't stick to the protocol that I normally did. And this, and look what happens. And it was so great because 
like we said, the theme, you learn so much from what went wrong. I'm not going to do that again. I'm going to make sure I do this. I'm going to do that. And I think that's what's really important as a clinician, just because some of us might get up on a stage and shout it out. It doesn't, it doesn't make it any more useful than the information that you just give quietly on the side. It's just as valuable as each other. So don't feel intimidated. Like you either have to do it like this or like this, whichever way that you share it is so important and so valuable for that clinician and you never might know how much you've impacted that clinician but there's been many hygienists through my career and specialists that have really impacted my career and they probably don't even realize that they did it or those little things that they shared with me or that just that kindness that they've showed but it really changed the direction of my career or really helped me with something and you can be that person for someone else as well and I think that's it's a really wonderful thing to be able to do that for someone. It is. It definitely is. It's almost like, um, you know, having um, an apprenticeship. Yeah. You know, because in the beginning, you're so green. Yeah, you, you, you leave college knowing how to do this job without hurting someone. That's really what it comes down to. You know, you could be proficient. You're not going to be good, you know, and, and that's, that's the part that is tough because, like, and then not only are you dealing with that, like trying to get your skills and your chops and your patient education up, but you might be working in a practice where there's another hygienist who's much more seasoned than you, but they maybe just have none. And then you're like, wait a second, I'm supposed to do A, B, C, and D, and they're not doing it. So then you, you know, you're at this crossroads. Do I just do what I was taught to do or do I do it the way they're doing it? And, and it's, it's hard. It's hard to make those decisions, you know, and, especially and when you knew. Yeah, because you also don't want to rock the boat. Because I feel like a lot of new clinicians feel like they're just so lucky that this doctor took them on, that this this dentist has hired them and they're willing to work with them. And um, you know, I want to help flip the funnel on that a bit because the dentist is lucky to have you. Yeah. And yeah, you're green and you have a lot of learning, but you also have you know the information is most fresh in your mind. So there's a lot of goodness that you can contribute to the practice as well. So hopefully we'll be able to achieve that through this podcast where we can, it's all about the disruption, you know, like when we came up with this, this idea for the name of the podcast, it's, it's disrupting the, the, the common thought of how dentistry like it doesn't have to be so hard. It doesn't have to be so intense. It could be, we can have fun while we do this, you know, and, and Tabitha and I are just so passionate about disrupting biofilm. So that disruption was, is something you're going to hear a lot from us about and, you know, just disrupting the status quo because the status quo, um, Tracy Baker on Instagram, the dental hygienist, uh, she's amazing. And she's, that's one of her hashtags, the status quo has got to go. And I, I 110% agree with that because it's not serving you as a clinician and it's certainly not serving your patients. So we need to ascend to the next level and, and take our role in healthcare seriously because we are the best kept secret in healthcare. And we have the ability to impact people's lives in such a positive way with the work that we do. Our, our profession is so special. And it's, it's like, I just want to scream that we need to, we need to rise up to the challenge. And when you know better, you do better. And it's, it's go time. I'm, I know. I remember I, when I first came across implants in private practice, 
because my education at university existed of implants exist, move on. <laughs> we really learnt nothing. I, I don't even think we spent 15 minutes talking about them. And the only reason why I was aware of them is because I'd been an assistant helping assist in a placement of them and I'd seen them in in private practice already, but I still wasn't aware of how to maintain them. And I don't think the dentists that were placing them were at the time either. That that thought has come much after the process of learning how to place them. Absolutely. And so I was out of private practice and um, I had my first all-on four that I'd ever seen. And I remember I left the room and I nearly hyperventilated. I was like, what the hell am I going to do with this? Like, And so I went into the dentist and I said, I, I don't know what to do. Like, I was really embarrassed, but I just said to him, I, I, I don't know what to do. And he goes, oh, so just get some super floss, dip it in some chlorhexidine, 360 floss it underneath and then charge them for a clean. Mm. And I was like, all right, I'm pretty sure I know nothing, but I know that ain't the thing. <laughs> I was like, I am not doing this. I am embarrassed by that. I'm not charging for that. that. That's something the patient can do at home. I need to be providing a step up. And that really sent me on this journey. And that's how I was like, well, I'm going to have to do some CE courses. I'm going to have to go meet my local periodontist and ask questions. And I think that's a lot where I got some of my motivation back from as well with wanting to learn more and, and do more and, and understand it more. And I think that, that there's no harm in saying that, like, I don't understand because I've been that person. I don't know what I'm doing. And that's how I've kept my motivation. And that's how I've changed that. You know, I have had many dentists argue with me in CE courses when I'm teaching, don't probe that implant. No, you don't need to do that. They're just like a tooth. An implant is not a tooth. They are very different. And that's, you know, we have to accept that. And, you know, I've, ha I've had to fight back against that legacy dentistry like we've talked about and really disrupt that status quo with, and we've all done that, um, trying to really push back with, no, there has to be a standard of care. You ethically have to know how to look after this implant. And I say this all the time and it's not always loved. If you spent the money to place the implant and you don't know how or you don't buy the equipment to maintain that implant, that is unethical dentistry. It is. Refer it out of your practice if it comes in, if you don't place them and you're not going to invest in the money to maintain them or know how to do it. And if you're not going to invest the money to maintain them or teach that patient how to look after them, don't place them. Because it's that's it's really what it comes down to, and that's what it comes down to. And so these are tough decisions and discussions to have to have in dental practices. And I think that goes back to that disrupting. You've got to disrupt that that practice when it's like that. You've got to really get the courage to stand up and say, "I'm not going to provide supervised neglect," because right. that's what that dentist was asking me to do, to provide supervised neglect. Exactly, and you have to be. No, not going to happen. Um, yeah. You have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. And it's hard. And it is hard. It's definitely not easy. And I, I would have similar discussions because I, I, again, you and I are so aligned. I almost had the identical experience the first time <laughs> I saw. Um, it's, it's funny because the practice that I was in, they were doing this kind of like massive implant hybrid cases some of these cases I was seeing by the time I got there were like almost 15, 20 years old. So the design was very different. They, they referred to them as like high water dentures. And that's where the concept was where they would actually leave a big, uh, have a, a long abutment. So there was a bigger space to increase the ability for them to remove the biofilm 
Um, but then they, you know, the evolution of that has changed. But the first case I saw like that was a mandibular fixed arch case. And, you know, the patient opened her mouth and I nearly fell off the chair. And I was like, every curse word, like WT is going on in there. Like I had no idea. And I just took a deep breath and I was like, all right, well, I know I could use my Cavitron with my little blue plastic tip. I had plastic scalers in the drawer, which we don't know what those do. I hate those things, but I've owned everything like you. I've had every tool. I've bought it. I've thrown it in the bin. I've thrown it at a wall nearly. So if you are sitting at home and you're thinking, I have those tools or, you know, I got this. It's okay. As well, it's okay. We've tried everything in the bag. (laughs) Absolutely. And I would feel terrible when I would find like a new... Uh, you know, a titanium implant scaler. And I was like, oh, this is going to be the one. And I would, can I order this? Sure. And it comes in, it's shit. Excuse my mouth. But yeah, um, every and time. You're like, great, great, great. I just wasted more of his money. Awesome. Not going to tell him that though. <laughs> I would do it too. I need this one. This is going to be the one. This is going to be the one that changes it. And then you get it and you're like, oh, it's as crap as the last one. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Well, and, and the, the issue with that is they're designed as the same scalers we use that are designed for natural teeth yet again an implant is not a natural tooth but um yeah so i i just you know put my big girl pants on and used my blue tip cavitron and used my plastic scalers and got the floss out and floss till the cows came home and um i was so nervous i sat the patient up and he's like that was the best appointment i've ever had and i was like wow okay thank you <laughs> and then the doctor he after he came in and did the exam he's like oh good job kid you did a great job and i probably should have warned you i said yeah a little warning a little heads up would have been nice would have been appreciated thanks <laughs> never saw that in my life before that was and then like looking at the radiographs too you're like this is like a bionic human yeah you know they're completely edentulous and there's these just giant rods like all over their mouth it's crazy you know when you first see it you're like whoa what is that and i think this is like craps on radiographs don't they yeah oh they look yeah you're just like whoa it's just bizarre but i think this is something that um we all would really like to see a change those of us that are teaching implant maintenance and dentistry is i'd love to see that more knowledge is being given during our actual initial training through university at a higher level um, across the globe to understand the anatomy of an implant, to understand the way that an implant, you know, it's surgically created that um, it's not naturally formed. It doesn't have the same fiber attachment. Everything is different. The blood supply is different. Everything is different. It's more susceptible and we need to be more meticulous with the cleaning and we need to be more meticulous without professional debridement as well. And I, I would like diagnostics and our diagnostics. And if you don't understand what health is, if you don't actually understand how an implant is different to a tooth, then it's very difficult to diagnose disease or to know when things have got better or got worse. And, you know, it, it's really important that you understand this. Now, like when I first started graduating, I remember the dentist saying to me, Oh, you can't probe an implant. So Mm -hmm. we just, ignored them <laughs> i don't know if it was we like putting sorry. your head in the sand like we'll just we'll just try and not think about this one we'll just ignore it pretend don't look at it don't touch it <laughs> pretend it's not there <laughs> we so, were taught two things in in school um don't probe them 
And if you are to scale them, it needs to be plastic or gold at the time when I graduated yeah. was acceptable. Yeah, and, you know, and we actually have come a long way. Like there are really good ways to maintain implants, which we'll do an episode on that and we can talk about that more For in depth. Sure. Uh, we can probably do multiple episodes in that, Melissa and I, because oh we're God. so passionate That's about that. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of knowledge out there and it's science-based and it's evidence-based, but it's just trying to get that out to people. And I think that's something that we're both really passionate about is just we don't want people to lose their implants. We want people right. to have function. We want people to have the social aspects of it, the psychological aspects of it. And people have spent a lot of money on this. They've really invested a lot of time and a lot of money. And when they lose an implant, they lose faith in us as an industry they lose, there's an emotional toll, there's a financial toll, and I really want patients to not have to feel that. I think that's really, really important. Yeah, no, definitely. There, there's so much, there's so many elements to that. And um, um, it, it's just, we need to do better as an industry. And, and the education, it, it definitely needs to, implantology should be its own course and hygiene curriculum. It should be a one and a two in a two-year program, in my opinion. But the, the difficulty is that they're already, like I said earlier, they're jam-packed with so much information already that, like, where's the room to put more? Yeah. So it's it's really tough. It's So I understand, you know, why we haven't gotten there yet either. But, you know, this is, it's not going away. The you know, when I first started educating an implant dentistry, we would get the statistics of where the industry was going. Yeah. And they were saying by 2024, it's like a, going to be a $13 billion industry. Well, it's 2020. Like, yeah. we're, we're just about there. And, um, you know, and, and then there's, there's the advertisements now that are happening in America. I was at the gym one day and, and I'm on the treadmill and I see, Clear Choice had its own infomercial where you can come in and you can have all your teeth removed and implants and, and teeth in a day. And I'm like, as they, I'm watching this and I'm just getting upset as I'm watching it because not in one part of that infomercial did they talk about the maintenance aspect of it. And, you know, they're, they're selling to these patients something that is, um, they're not selling the whole picture. And I hope that, that you know, when they actually get in there, because I have no experience of being in a consultation with this company and how they do it. But I'm hoping that when they get in there, they are covering the maintenance aspect of it. Not only just what needs to be done professionally, but the maintenance at home, because that's the hugest key factor, in my opinion, for success. Is If we're not educating patients on how to maintain this dentistry, then you know, we're setting them up for a failure. And, and a lot of times, like I know that I didn't know, and even my evolution in Perioprost, what I started recommending to patients in the beginning and what I did towards the end there, totally different. So, you know, it's, it's, it's just oh. that evolution of growth and, and being able to say to your patients too, you know what, this is based on what I know now, this is what we're going to do. This might change. We might tweak it along the way, but you know, let's, let's work with this and let's see how you can do with this and then we'll take it from there. But the biggest thing that it has to be practical and it has to, again, fit into their life. If you don't create a program for them to do at home, that's going to fit into their life and they can do it. And it's not a struggle to have to do it. Let's face it with the human condition. They're not going to do it. 
And that's something that we really have to recognise. Yeah, there's a gold standard and there's research backing things. And I, we're both very evidence-based and really like research, but it has to be practical. And they need to be able to do it at home. And if the patient doesn't have the manual dexterity or maybe the ability to purchase an electric toothbrush or, you know, like there's lots of different factors. So we have to look at economics, physical, psychological, their desires and wants, and we have to find something that meets all of them and that can be really hard sometimes but that's actually our job right right it's not to give standard cookie cutter information to our patient our jobs to give individualized care and that's what's really important so sometimes the standard of what we want to give we physically can't because it doesn't suit that situation we have to adapt it and move it and what we have to do is give the best standard for that situation Right, right. Because, you know, patients don't always have that manual dexterity that we'd like. Right. Or, like, what I had also experienced was, you know, when you first start working with a patient, they might be in a stage of life where they can take care of themselves. And as you're with them over the years, they get to other issues where they can. They develop Parkinson's or, you know, they just start to lose their manual dexterity as they go through their geriatric phase of life. And, And we're talking about patients who have full mouth of implants. And I've seen some of them that, you know, they get put into a nursing home and I never see them again. And then I've seen patients who have had like amazing caregivers and they're bringing them in. And I would say, you know what, we're at the point in life where I know you're trying to help. Sometimes we have to think outside of the box to make it work. And just because the standards and insurance doesn't cover it, that's our problem here in this country. If my insurance doesn't cover it, I'm not going to do it. Um, But that's not healthcare. That's, that's a money-making system. That, that system's not there to support your health. That system's there to pay the least amount of money off of you every year. But the more you come in and see me, the healthier I can keep you. So it actually, I save them money because I prevent your heart attack, your stroke, your, you know, I can reduce your risk of turning on the genetics for cancers by managing the bacteria and the inflammation in your body. So like, it's, it's just, it's backwards. It's totally backwards. And hopefully we can disrupt that sector as well and things can start changing there it's okay to you know i think your thinking has to evolve as your patients evolve too in life and and the the key thing is practicality if we're not being practical the expectations we have with our patients because i mean what what is that that you know we're we're known to be like don't yell at me oh my hygienist yells at me or she's gonna scold me or he's gonna tell me i didn't do this right and then and then we just create more of that culture that they don't want to be here yes you know, and, and that's how do we get people to get on board and engage and do take good care of themselves if we're just making them feel bad. And the funny part is that, is that like we didn't like feeling bad when we were students about the work we maybe didn't do as well as we should have. I don't like feeling bad as a clinician. If I take a radiograph and I see a hunk of calculus, that I was like, oh, where was my head last time I saw you? Because obviously I missed that. You know, like it happens. You know, I think we need to just focus on course correction and, and again, learning from the mistakes and doing the best you can. You learn more there as long as you can be in that mindset where you're not going to beat yourself up for it and just say, okay, it wasn't my best work that day, but let me move forward and and try to eliminate that next time. I think you've raised some really good things for future podcast episodes. So I think (laughs) communication um, and oral hygiene instructions. And I also think a really good one that we should discuss more as well on another episode is what do we do with these patients that get complex implant dentistry when they go into residential care? I think Mm -hmm. there is a huge problem awaiting us. Yeah. We're not forward thinking of how we're going to deal with this. 
we're going to try and deal with a disaster when it comes. And this is something that I feel very worried about because obviously I've been working in dentistry where replacing hybrid bridges, all on fours, zygomatic implants. Now, that's fine with patients that, can ma- that have the manual dexterity and the cognitive um, ability to look after it, but it's going to maybe change for some of them. And how are we going to deal with this? And so that, that's an episode in itself, but it, I think that's a huge subject that we all need to think about. Everyone in dentistry needs to start thinking about how do we do better for aging population. Absolutely. We, we're going to have to uh, reach out to Angie Stone because that is her area of expertise where she, she actually created a business where she goes into these, these uh, facilities and she takes care of the geriatric population just simply by brushing and doing oral hygiene for them because they don't have the dexterity to do it for themselves. And that's such an important, important um, service that is providing so much. And I think that's, yeah, we can talk about that. That'd be great to chat with her and discuss that because I think we need more of that. That needs to be a lot more. Yeah. A lot more. And, And like you were mentioning earlier, like going into what sections of dentistry really excite you. There's so many clinicians that, you know, know more in certain areas and and we're going to be looking towards our buddies in the US and in Australia to get them on the podcast too so they can talk about their areas of expertise and you know just elevate your knowledge base. Like something I'm learning about too is is myo functional therapy and airway. Like I don't know enough about that, but I'm so intrigued by it and I want to learn more. So that's something that we're going to be sharing with you guys also. Um, any closing remarks? We've been chatting for a while. Yeah, I was <laughs> going to say we've got some great things lined up. We want to talk about lots of different subjects like we've discussed here and obviously we'll talk a lot about implants as we go along the way because it's something that we feel really passionate about but we want to really you know delve a lot deeper into areas like professional jealousy independent practice multidisciplinary healthcare patient-centered health politics of dental hygiene and discrimination within dental hygiene and the list goes on so we've got some really interesting different things to have a talk about each fortnight i, I found out that this is an australian term so every other week um, i said you know what I, week of list, i was like what <laughs> so then i told my daughter that because to me when on top of the said we're doing every fortnight i'm like that's a game yeah. <laughs> and then he told me oh mom that's cringy i don't play that game anymore but um and then my, so i was telling them that you had said that and i had no idea what you're talking about and my daughter goes, oh my gosh, mom, that's like a vocabulary term from my seventh grade. How did you not know that that meant every two weeks? <laughs> I was like, I just didn't. <laughs> Carrying your smarty pants with me. Like, it's but, super fun. Oh, teenagers are really fun. <laughs> that could be another subject, teenage and oral health. That's always a really fun That's thing. a good one. Yeah. <laughs> but thank you everyone for listening along and hearing about why we're passionate about dentistry. This first episode was really just so that you could meet us if you don't know us and find out a little bit about us. And the next episode, we're planning to take a big deep dive into biofilm, which is something that we're both passionate about. Yes. Yeah. We have so many passions, but yeah, you're going to get to learn all that we know about biofilm. And hopefully, you know, we can even stretch that education more and more and, and learn from other people too. And they can just elevate our knowledge base on that yeah we can't wait to share we're gonna disrupt some dentistry here (laughs) thank you all for being here with us and thank you for listening and um, please share with some friends 
if you find this valuable, if you find this fun, you know, reach out to us too. Uh, our email is disruptingdentistrypodcast at gmail.com. Definitely give us a follow on Instagram. If, you're, if you listened and you thought it was cool and you connected, then share it with your friends, help people know that we're doing this and we're, we're sharing some, some good stuff. And we'll hopefully you'll hear us soon. Thank you very much. We'll, we'll see you on the fortnight. Yeah. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye.